0: I'm Paul Sutton, and this is Digital Download, the show where I talk to topic experts on digital marketing, social media, and public relations about the things that matter in today's communications industry. The Chartered Institute of Public Relations was formed in 1948 and is the world's only royal charter professional body for public relations practitioners. It currently has around 10,000 members, but in common with most businesses, has had to adapt rapidly to minimise the impact of the COVID-19 pandemic. This has included mitigating measures including reducing staffing levels and giving up its London offices to become a virtual organisation. The President of the Institute this year is today's guest Jenny Field, After my recent shows about the future of the communications industry, Jenny and I got chatting on Twitter, and it seemed a natural next step to round off this topical sequence of podcasts by hearing from someone at the forefront of guiding the way the industry responds to the extensive changes that are happening in 2020. After gaining a degree in marketing, Jenny started working as a communications assistant in local government, a role she describes as wide-ranging and pretty generic. After that, she specialised in media relations for a defence company and eventually moved across to internal communications, both in-house and agency side. She says that a lot of her career moves have been sideways rather than up, which has been hugely helpful in gaining very senior positions late in her career. And she also sees the fact that people in the communications industry are directed to always look up to the next level rather than to look across at different disciplines as an issue, saying that we don't end up with enough people with a broad skill set. Now this points to the T-shaped person, who I've been championing for many years, someone with a depth of knowledge in one area, but a breadth of knowledge across many. The conditioning to always look up and see how far you can get in a hierarchical structure isn't helpful for the way the industry has moved over the last five years and continues to evolve. In a recent show, a lack of professional development and upskilling was cited as a major problem within the comms industry. And this is something that Jenny agrees with.
1: We're not taking that time to learn and see what's around us. You can't be an expert in everything. That would be impossible and actually wouldn't serve your clients, whether internal or external, well either. But you do have to have an awareness of what's going on and know people that are experts. <laughs> that's that's how I, you know, that's why networking is so important. You know, know the people that you can call on and say, look, oh, this has come up, I don't know. Can you either help me or can you can I put you in touch with them because they need your help?
0: Jenny established Redefining Communications three years ago, a comms consultancy that focuses on leadership and transformation. She built the company on a collective consultancy model with what she describes as an army of topic experts that she brings in to support clients, while she maintains her position as the focal point. And then in 2018, Jenny decided to run for president of the CIPR. She'd worked with it for several years, sitting on the council and chairing the internal communications group. Having been asked to stand for president before, this just felt like the right time and there were things that she wanted the organisation to focus on. She started her year as president in January.
1: I wanted to talk more about the fact that PR isn't just media relations. I think it has quite a reputation for being very narrow. And as someone that works in internal communication, I wanted to make sure that we were giving equal weight to public affairs, internal comms, marcoms, all the different specialisms that exist. Because I didn't think we were doing that particularly well in terms of our CPD offer, but also in terms of um, just the share of voice and how we were showing up um, to industry. Uh, I also wanted to really drive the CPD agenda. So of our 10,000 members, I think it's around 2,000 do CPD. And I find that really disappointing. So I wanted to try and, and drive that and change that. And we've made steps to that. We've introduced things like a knowledge panel who review what's on the CPD database and all sorts of things like that. So that was quite a big one. And focusing on our volunteers, because the Institute is very heavily run by volunteers. You know, we have a very small staff. And I wanted to make sure that we could try and uh, sort of network people better. So we were kind of coming at members with as one CIPR so that you didn't feel it was sort of these disparate groups that actually we're one institute and you can get involved with us any number of ways. But we all are networked behind the scenes and working better together.
0: And how, I hesitate to ask this question, <laughs> how, how have you been finding that this year? Because, I mean, of all the years to be president of the CIPR, uh, it's not been the easiest, has it?
1: No, I mean I, I will remember it <laughs> for lots of
0: reasons.
1: Um, it, but it's it's been it's been very challenging, but it's been very rewarding. And actually, the biggest thing for me is to empower the senior management team to make you know the right decisions long after I've gone. You know, th- this is not something that it just is about this year. This impacts us for a long time. So I want to make sure that they have got the the support of a, a robust board who are focused on the future and also that they are empowered to make those decisions uh, and take that forward. So that's been, you know, quite a big focus for us. But actually, you know, one of the things I was quite disappointed at was the fact that I wasn't going to get out and see members. And that's really important to mm. me to be as present as I can. But actually you're able to do that online, as we've all learned. So I've actually been able to spend more time talking to people. I did a, an event that was in Mauritius, albeit not me in Mauritius. <laughs> <laughs>
0: that would have been um, nice. But, wouldn't it? Was it?
1: Yeah, that would have been really <laughs> nice. Um, but it was lovely to talk to members that are in different parts of the world. And I think that I maybe wouldn't have had that opportunity had we been in a normal year, because I think you get very focused on the UK. So the global element for, for me has been a huge benefit from this year um, and the, you know the chartered assessments prove that that's gone online we've had loads of people from different countries now involved and yeah it's just very it's very different but it's actually I think you know we've learned a lot and we'll be a better institute for it in the long term.
0: So I, I know you've listened to the last few episodes and that's essentially why we got round to recording today what is your views on the way the industry is evolving or not evolving as the case may be? I mean, I, I, there's a lot of speculation as as you've listened to around PR being absorbed into part of marketing and and losing its own sort of standalone discipline function. What, what are mm. your views on on how this all works?
1: I thought the conversations that you've had have been have been great because I've gone on a bit of a journey of, sort of <laughs> anger and agreement and frustration <laughs> across all of them. Um, but I think. There's a, there's a few things in there, aren't there? I think we get very obsessed as an industry about what our definition is and, and the seat at the table. And we can get very inward looking, which I don't think is helpful. Yeah, I don't talk about the fact that I do PR. Um, and I don't know whether that's helpful or not. And I know that's something you were kind of questioning before. But but mainly because my customers don't talk about that. They want a problem solved. And you know I'm the person that's going to help them, whatever that solution might be. And I think that we get so inward looking around what is the definition of PR and what are we doing and all the theory and all of that, which is so important, but actually we should be there to solve business problems. And I think that if we focused ourselves on that, then we would do much, much better. But one of the things that I did think about was the time that that this takes. And I think that it, nothing moves quickly. <laughs> and mm-hmm. and I found that certainly within the internal communication specialism, I got so frustrated two years ago that we were still saying that people that were deskless workers were one of our biggest barriers. As 10 years that's been on the list of barriers, yet no one's doing anything. And I think that's my frustration is that's 10 years and nothing's changed. Yep. So I can't see a rapid decline of PR imminently because we move at a glacial pace. There is not, so, you know, even with COVID, probably escalating things and accelerating stuff. Does it matter if we become part of a broader team of marketing, but we're still seen as a very specialist area within that? I don't, I don't know that that's a problem, and I wonder if people in HR that were learning and development specialists or employee relations specialists felt the same that they were then brought together into one HR division. So. I don't know whether we're just getting caught up in our own worries and actually if we're still able to serve the organisation, solve the problems, advise at a senior level, are we just making up a problem that doesn't exist?
0: Yeah, that's quite interesting because I, I think that that thing of whether it is a problem is, is kind of key to this actually because I, I know there are different views on this and I've heard several over the past few <laughs> weeks as a result of these podcasts but there is a view that, like you say, does it actually matter? Does it matter if PR, the, the comms industry, is just a subset of marketing? Does it actually matter? And I know there are people who say it, it, it makes no difference and others who are very, very vociferous in saying, no, it absolutely matters. We are our own thing and we need to be known as that. It's quite interesting to hear your perspective as the president of CIPR. That maybe it doesn't. And another thing I noticed there was that you you talked about the fact that you you don't talk about yourself as doing PR. And again, from the president of the CIPR, that's to me quite notable. I mean, I agree with everything you're saying, by the (laughs) way, but it's it's notable to me.
1: Yeah, and I don't – it's not an active – it's not an active avoidance. And I think that's the bit that's important. There's not a malicious intent behind this of people. I think generally across the industry, there's not an active, well, I'm definitely not going to say I work in PR. If I talk to somebody who doesn't know me and they say, what do you do? Then I say, you know, I help organizations be less chaotic by helping them communicate effectively. Mm. You know, I might, because that's what I've, I've done the work around. What is it that I really do? Even if I said to them, oh, I work in PR, they'd immediately think of a publicist. Yep. or however the media portrays PR, they wouldn't think about something that I do, which is very different. And I think that's, that's the bit for me is that the breadth of, of PR is what I love about it. But if you're trying to, to make that simple in a definition and, and be able to to run that off to someone that doesn't understand what you do, then I just don't think you, we're going to get there partly mm. because the media, you know, God love things like Flack and abfab Fab and all of those things. But <laughs> they do lead people to think PR is totally different to what it, I do. Um, so I think that's a challenge. But I think what's important for me is that it's not its not an active, I'm not going to say I work in PR because I don't want to. It just isn't appropriate to describe the work that I do um, when I'm talking about actually what I do, not just trying to bucket it into something.
0: Yeah, I, I agree. And it's something I've talked about before, and I do the same thing. If... if... If people want to call me a PR person, then fine. whatever. Mm. I, I don't care. I really yeah. don't care. But I, I don't actively use those words. But, you know, it, it really is a case of horses for courses, I think, when it comes to the clients you're working with and the impact you're looking to have.
1: Yeah, and I think if you're, you know, for some people, it will be completely appropriate. When I talk about PR, I talk about the fact that it's about the relationships between stakeholders and an organisation. And that is the definition that we have of PR. And that is that means internal comms fits in it, public, you know, public affairs, all of those things fit in that. But that's still incredibly broad as a definition. So even if I said to you, oh, yeah, I work in PR, I'm not sure you're really going to know what I do because yeah. it's so broad. And that's OK. That's totally fine because I can then tell you something else about what I do to make it really clear about that area of PR that I work in. But just saying I work in PR as a standalone isn't enough anymore because of the breadth of skills that are needed.
0: When it comes to the the way the CIPR approaches this, this this big topic, what's your experience on the views internally on this this whole topic? I mean, does it have a a specific direction it wants to go in? Does it agree with some of the arguments that have been presented, does it disagree? I mean, it, it, in a broad sense, what's the the organisation's view on this?
1: So the CIPR has a strategy for the next five years. Uh, and that's that's the focus for us. And that is all about the, the vision for the future of the profession. It talks about the different sections within that that are focused on professional development. It's focused on excellence in industry. So again, it's got that broadness to it, if you like, mm-hmm. that allows us to explore how we can support those in industry. There is very little appetite to talk about the definition of PR because there is a definition of PR and I I don't believe it needs to change because I think actually having something that is broad enough allows the profession to adapt and grow and respond to the needs of business and I think that's what's important so our strategy is is set it's deliberately you know broad because then you can deliver the right things for members and non-members and the industry to support them in the right way but I think there's, there's definitely a view that would be similar to my own around it's, we could just spend all our time looking inward and none of us want yeah. to do that. That's just not helpful to what we're trying to achieve. Um, and even in this year when we look at what we've done to lobby the government around our independent practitioners and the work we've done with CBI and the IOD and you know all the different industry bodies, that's really important. If we were focused on, well, what does PR really mean and what does it stand for? you know, is that really helpful to people? I I just don't think it is.
0: Do you have a sense of the way members of the CIP are, are responding to these sorts of challenges? I mean, you referenced earlier this, the fact that, I mean, it's a different take on it, the fact that nothing much has changed in 10 years. And I see that as a negative because if something external changes, the industry is too slow to adapt. Mm-hmm. You're saying, actually, maybe it's the reverse in that, people have time because things change so slowly do you do you have a sense of how members are evolving i mean are they evolving very fast or is it that sort of creep slow tick 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 over time
1: Um, I think it's I think it's probably a mixture, and I think that's you know it's very generic to say it's not really shifted in ten years.
0: Yeah, yeah. (laughs) But I
1: think you know there are pockets where things have dramatically shifted in like tech and stuff like that. But if we come back to the some of the the fundamentals around what we do, you know, I get really disappointed in things like the skills and development because things like business acumen has been on the list for ages as a skill that's lacking in PR practitioners. Yet nobody seems to do very much to increase that skill set. Even if we put on courses, you know, to do that, there isn't the appetite to then take action. And I think that's the bit for me is that we are an industry of words. You know, that's what we do. A lot of the time we do a lot of, you know, as I said, in the state of profession, we do a lot of copywriting, but Mm -hmm. we talk a lot about messaging, you know, the, the response to the government messaging from the PR industry is incredibly strong. But and that's our focus: is the message, the words, all those things. I don't know how action orientated we are, and I think that's true across a lot of areas of society. But if if people said, you know, actually, what I need to do as a member in order to 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 change and adapt is all of these things, are people actually actively doing that, or is it just easy to say, look, we need to do all of this, but actually making the time to do it is a very different thing.
0: And that's where this thing about the, the whole tactics versus strategy thing comes in where not being action oriented kind of leads down to, to me implies you're leading down a very tactical level, responding to things rather than thinking broadly about the reasons why you're doing that stuff. So, so your perspective is, is there's too much of that still going on because people aren't interested in learning the business side or, you know, the, the more, The more strategic thinking side is that fair yeah
1: I think I think it is a bit fair I think also you know we are designed to be you know lazy our brains are designed to take the easiest route and to do learning and to push yourself is something that isn't in our comfort zone and I think there is this element of tactical versus strategy and that's you know a debate that's been going on for a long time but actually if you're if you think, even if we take your own professional development as an example, you know, I will think about what are the things that I need to do over the next two years to either help me grow my business, grow myself, whatever it might be. So I then have a a, a plan that has been strategically thought through around what are the right things for me to do. And then I have to implement that plan. Mm -hmm. I worry that we stop short and we just kind of come up with the plan and we don't necessarily do the stuff that, that sits underneath that. And we have to do that even no matter how much as a consultant or whatever role you're in there's always going to be an element of having to do some work there's always going to be report writing tactical you know tactical stuff that needs to be done but if you're not thinking strategically about that then you are just kind of being stuck in a bucket you're either in the bucket of all the strategy thinking and no doing or just the doing and no strategy thinking so it's that balance for me that we need to try and get across the board so that everyone's got enough skill set to to do both.
0: On this topic, Jenny has a different view on how strategic thinking is defined than others I've talked to in recent shows, prompted in fact by those episodes. She says that she doesn't necessarily agree with the perspective that you have to report into the board in order to be able to do strategic PR. When I spoke to Ginny Dietrich a few shows ago, a large part of her reasoning for her thinking around PR being absorbed into marketing is that the instance of public relations reporting into the C suite has been declining consistently for several years jenny says that particular show took her down a rabbit hole of researching and talking to people about what strategy itself consists of and where strategy can be identified i think to
1: be strategic and doing the strategy are different things and i think you can be strategic at any level in an organisation but to obviously have a strategy and implement it you do need to be working with the board so for me, there's a question around influence and and how you're influencing. But also, I wouldn't want people to feel like, oh, well, I don't report into the board. So there's no point in me being strategic, because I can't impact that you absolutely can. I didn't report into the board for a long time, uh, and was able to, you know, influence all sorts of things around the strategic role of internal communications in an organisation. So there's a confidence issue in there, I think, people that we need to help them overcome by helping them look at the skills that they need, but also really defining what we mean by some of this stuff of when we're talking about being strategic this is the kind of stuff you need to do if that's what you're being told you want to do more of or you want to learn more about i think we use strategy and strategic interchangeably and i'm not sure that's helpful it's not just pr that are looking at where are they absorbed into other functions i think nearly every function in an organization thinks along some of these lines at some point okay and i i don't know that it matters because if if for me it comes down to the individual their ability to influence and their skill set because just because I don't report to the CEO doesn't mean that I can't have a conversation with the CEO like why are we so hung up on the hierarchy and the org charts of an organization that's not stopping you having a conversation with another human being and I and somehow we seem to get get stuck in the hierarchy which I don't think is real it's up to you to build the relationships with people to enable you to do the best job you can do and in PR, our whole world is about relationships, so you should be able to go and build those relationships to have those conversations, um, whether it's about influencing people around the CEO or the CEO direct, that's part of your job and part of your skill set to do that. So does it matter? Again, you know the, the proof for me is whether it has a negative impact on the problem I'm trying to solve for the organisation I'm supporting. If it doesn't have a negative impact on that, then why do I care?
0: I suppose the comeback on that might be that if you flip it round and look at it from the the CEO's perspective, maybe it's the CEO that doesn't want the relationship or the conversation perhaps with the PR person because he or she doesn't value it high enough.
1: I've had experience of exactly this, so I so I you know, and I've had some challenging conversations. And the conversation I ended up having was Talking to the CEO to say, I don't know what you mean by value, and you use the word value a lot around all the other functions uh, and what value they bring, and I don't know what you mean by that when you're when we're talking about the comms function. Mm-hmm. And she said to me, "It's all about risk. You know, I don't want I don't want our reputation at risk, so that's why I don't want to do stuff really proactively. But that's really for me what you're here to to protect. So it allowed me to change how we worked as a function, how we positioned it, and to build a relationship with her on a language that made sense but also aligned to what she was looking for from that function and that changed everything and I think if you can have those conversations then you can then tailor what you're doing to make sure that you are supporting the organization because again PR is so broad so whilst in some places you might be doing a lot of the you know the paid earned the campaign stuff you know the b2c all those things in other places that my experience was I was just about risk so this is kind of how we're going to tackle that so i think you've got to have those conversations and then work out how you can best support the ceo because it takes a lot of courage to have that conversation don't get me wrong it wasn't an easy one (laughs) um but it was worthwhile and hugely beneficial
0: so is that a case then to your thinking of adapting the way one talks uh, the language one uses, the the approach one uses when you're talking to someone outside of your kind of direct report, if you like. So you're trying to take on the way they're thinking, which, it, I mean, it it's one of the basics of communication, really. Yeah. But my, my sense is that still a lot of PR people don't do that when it comes to actually reporting on what they do or, or you know, the value of what they do. They talk in terms of PR value, which the CEO sometimes couldn't give a crap about it yeah.
1: yeah and i think we also can be quite protective of what is uh, what is a skill set that can be undervalued so i think it's easy for us to want to defend that yeah but actually if i've got a client or you know when i was in house if my ceo wanted me to do something that wasn't you know the right thing to do not an, not an ethical thing but just from a expertise thing then i have to question whether the values are, are aligned and whether it's the right place for me to be but also how much I can persuade and influence and adapt what I'm doing. And I think we forget that in building relationships. If you think about your relationships outside of work, so much of that time is often spent trying to understand the other person and compromising and, you know, working together, whereas we don't bring those skills into the workplace. And it's such a, a fundamental part to be able to understand the other person's point of view, adapt, shift, change, and and find a way to, to work together rather than just being very protective of how things should be done well that's not how they're going to be done in the real world and I think that's the that's the challenge with you know I'm a huge fan of the academic theory that sits behind everything I've, I've done the diploma I've you know I, I support a lot of that but it's about applying that to the real world not just lifting it and trying to to do it as a complete cookie cutter from from a textbook because you wouldn't be able to do it.
0: Yeah. It's interesting you talk about um, being sort of defensive there as well, because again, thinking about my own thinking around this, I, I do see a lot of PR people as as being quite defensive about what it is they do. And and like I said before, standing up for for their spot in the, the broad comms industry, the broad marketing industry, where, I mean, you've kind of said it doesn't matter, just do your job. And I'd I'd love to see more of that 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 just just stop being defensive about it.
1: Yeah, because actually what are you being defensive about and who's it mm. for and I mean there's a whole psycho psychology thing we could go down around that but I think it's it's it some of it is a bit ego related and everyone has an ego whether they say they don't or not we all have one some bigger than others but it's it, some of it does come down to that it's you know no I know this is right look I've done all this development and learning and this is how we should do and we have to follow this model and we have to do this if you're not flexible enough to adapt that you're never going you're never going to survive in an in-house role or um advising CEOs or whatever capacity you're working in because the life the world is not like that it's not black Mm. and white there's a lot of gray and I think it's being adaptable and that's such a big part of I think what makes agencies a success is their ability to really listen and listen to understand and then flex what they're saying to to support the problem and i think it's just not putting your needs first and and that's sometimes you know i've had experience of it i've had You know, even things like graphic designers will say, well, no, we have to do it this way. I'm like, I don't, I just want a PowerPoint template. (laughs) I don't want to, (laughs) I get that I need to do all this stuff, but actually I just need this now. And I know that we're going to have a conversation for hours about why I shouldn't and why I should do this to brand personality. (laughs) And I know all of these things, but I just need this. And if you're not willing to kind of adapt to that a bit, or, or that's not the right work for you, you know, in which case say, look, this isn't what I do. I'm not going to do it or you flex and say, right, okay, fine, I'll do it, but let's talk about this. Do you see what I mean? So it's 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 standing firm into what your value set is, but don't be so inflexible that you're not helping people solve a problem because that's ultimately what we're here to do.
0: This entire point around being adaptive and flexible and not being defensive about what it is that you do, or more specifically how others define that, is for me critical to the future of the comms industry. By taking a more holistic view, not only of marketing, but also of business as a whole, you step outside of the industry and the industry functions and see it for what it really is, both good and bad. Using that vision, you can then take responsibility for your future, whether comms remains a standalone function or whether it doesn't. I'm a firm believer that every single person working in comms today has to take personal responsibility for their development and their future to become the t-shaped person we've discussed or to develop the business acumen that is so important now is something you have to do no one will feed you this if you want to be someone who thinks on a more strategic level and has a long career you have to go on the courses to learn that
1: i couldn't agree more because it's the accountability that i just think we we lack quite a lot of the time you know there is you have to be accountable for the decisions and the actions that you take no one else mm. can be and like you said, if you want to, if you want that role or you want to do that job or you want to move, then you've got to take the time to invest in doing that. And I'm a, I'm a big fan of uh, Matt Haig, who's written a lot of books around mental health. And he his book Notes on a Nervous Planet talks about the fact that you have to edit your choices and that you can't, you know, watch every film, you can't read every book. And it really resonated with me on a professional level because I think we have a huge amount of pressure to do everything, whereas actually edit the stuff that you want to do focus on the things that are important and then take accountability and responsibility for doing those then you know you can adapt as you go because you're not so rigid that you're fixed in a a way of doing something but you're able to take that responsibility forward to do the things that are right for you and and what you want to do but accountability for me is really important I think we're it's something that I think we, we, we lack sometimes around actions and decisions that we take and being able to stand up and say, I'm completely behind what I said or that decision or actually, do you know, I messed up and I'm sorry. You know, that's a skill set in itself.
0: Many thanks to Jenny for talking to me for this show. Please look her up on Twitter. You can subscribe to Digital Download on iTunes, Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts. And if you like the show, please do leave a review as this helps others discover the podcast. Thanks for listening and I'll see you next time.